0: That song that we just sang in the Lord's table that we just partook in reminds me of the words of the Apostle Paul about our response to that. And Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that the love of Christ constrains us, but we thus judge or discern that if Christ died for all, then we were all dead, and dead in our sins. And that he died for all that those who live— shouldn't live for themselves but unto him who died for them and rose again in other words the cross of Christ not only paid for our sin but it should break the downward pole of our selfishness you don't have to look around you very far in our world to see that we live in a world filled with all kinds of brokenness in relationships and brokenness in our world even in the, the global scene in terms of war where does that come from the, the lack of unity even in our country in our world. Uh, there was a um, book written called The Lessons of History. Uh, Will and Ariel Durant uh, wrote that war is one of the constants of world history. They tracked 3,421 years of recorded history and this is what they found. There have only been 268 years without a war. 1945, at the end of World War II, the start of the United Nations, and part of their mission was to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war so that we could live together in peace with one another. But since the beginning of the United Nations, there have been 300 wars. So we live in a world, we live in a history with a brokenness and the disunity that we see all around us. But that's also translated down into our nation. I, I think that perhaps there's been no other time period in recent history since the Vietnam War era when we've seen more disunity within our own country. We don't have to look very far than a lot of our homes. And the conflict that happens in marriage, the conflict between siblings, the lack of unity, even churches where there is brokenness and a lack of unity. Remember the first church that Bert and I had the joy of serving in? As assistant pastor, and bring him to New York. That church has just been through an incredible church split, and the impact that that had upon families and households and upon the testimony in the community was so devastating. Effects of fall. Now, it's been fascinating to the year I graduated from high school was 1971 and the era of the 70s were a mega shift in our culture and there have been people studying it ever since that some things that have happened since then that continue to affect us and there was a sociologist named Daniel Yakalovich who published a study that was entitled New Rules Searching for Self-Fulfillment in a World Turned Upside Down and what he tracked is that the 1970s brought a major shift in values in our culture he said this, people began to seek personal self-fulfillment as the ultimate goal in life rather than operating in the principle that we're here to serve and even sacrifice for others. So much so that the 1970s were called the me generation. That's us baby boomers. We did it, okay? But frankly, the devastation that that has brought and the, the effects of that have been horrible. In the book, The Greening of America, Charles Reitz wrote, Modern living has obliterated place, locality, and neighborhood, and given us the anonymous separateness of our uh, existence. The family, the most basic social system, has been ruthlessly stripped to its functional essentials. Friendships have been coated over with a layer of impenetrable artificiality as as men strive to live roles designed for them. Protocol, competition, hostility, and fear have replaced the warmth of the circle of affection that might sustain man against a hostile environment. And then he said this, catch this. America has become one vast, terrifying anti-community. America has become one vast, terrifying anti-community. In other words, there is not unity in the fabric of society today. None of that comes as a surprise to you, but the question is, are churches different? Are they different? And I think in a lot of church situations, people come together like marbles. They're exterior solid and not willing to be authentic and open with each other and experience community, when God really calls us to come together like grapes so that the life that is in us gets shared with one another in community, whether in a small group or in a ministry team, and certainly within our families. When we discover, friends, Christ as the true source of our unity... We find a source of spiritual refreshment and we find influence. And I want you today to celebrate with me where real unity can come in your home, in our church. And turn with me to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Uh, The good news is this this is a really short Psalm, there's only three verses. The other good news is this psalm is rich in both its poetry and its wisdom about where we can live with the kind of unity God wants us to have. The psalmist begins saying it's a song of ascents of David. Behold how good, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. That's the thesis of the psalm. And then he gives two similes, two word pictures of what unity looks like. The first is in verse 2. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. On the beard of Aaron, the high priest. Running down on the collar of his robes. Here's the second one. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, Jerusalem. For there, Jerusalem, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life of remorse. So he gives the result of that unity. So the the structure of the psalm is his thesis, two illustrations, and then he says, here's the result, here's the influence that this kind of unity can have. It's the result of it. And friends, I want you with me today to celebrate true spiritual unity. Because when it is there in a family... When it's there in friendship, when it's there in a small group, when it's there in a ministry team, when it's there in a church, the impact for Jesus Christ is huge, and the blessing on our lives is significant. So what does it look like when we celebrate spiritual unity? First of all, if you're going to celebrate spiritual unity with me today, we're going to celebrate the value, the importance of spiritual unity. That's what he does in verse 1. He talks about the value of it. He said how good it is. How good it is. And, and the word is good is the opposite of evil. It talks of something that has value, something that is a source of joy and is pleasant. He said how good it is and how pleasant it is. Uh, the Hebrew word for pleasant here is used for David as a sweet psalmist of Israel. That word sweet. It was also used for the enjoyment of eating bread. It's good and it's pleasant. It's highly valuable, valuable. And he says it is for brothers to dwell together in unity and harmony. It's talking about mutual relationship. It's talking about being joined together, sharing together, of having hearts for one another. We call it here community. And and he's saying how, how valuable it is, how good and pleasant it is when there is this spirit of unity I want to make it really clear that um, biblical unity is not uniformity it doesn't mean we're all the same I happen to know that um, in this place we have some people that are Michigan State fans we've also got some people that are Michigan fans we have some people that are, a few, that are just uh, in a different culture from Ohio State, that are Ohio State fans. We had somebody in the previous service I know that is a, a, a Penn State fan. I lived in Pennsylvania 14 years and never converted me, okay? You Also, if you look at one another, some of us have just different hobbies and interests, different genders, different backgrounds, different educational levels, different things that we're interested in. The things that are different among us are vast, but when you value unity, you focus on the fact that what we share in common is greater than what, what divides us. It's not uniformity, it's unity, because unity is highly valued. Now, notice in the title of the psalm, he talks about it being a psalm of a sense. What is that about? It meant that this was a song that was sung by the Jews when they traveled together up to Jerusalem for one of the three feast days in the calendar when they were to come together. And they would come from all different places. They came from different tribes. They came from different regions. They had different careers and trades. They came together, though, for the purpose of worship. They came together to celebrate. They came together to share. And so they shared what they have in common. And in the same way, when we gather here on a Sunday morning, we set aside all those things that are different. We say what we have in common in Christ is greater than the things that would make us different or distinct also he says it's a psalm of David and Bible historians believe that this psalm may have been actually written by David for the occasion when he took the throne finally after being a fugitive for 10 years and King Saul having divided the country David comes to Judah first and becomes coronated there as king later Uh, sometime later all of the other tribes gather together and he becomes a king and it's a call from David for unity he's expressing the value of it he said it is good and pleasant for brothers to dwell together in unity think through for just a minute the Old Testament and how the tension of unity and disunity just flows through the passage Adam and Eve had great unity in the garden right before the, the fall and then there's the first family conflict and the blame game starts in the garden you have two brothers Cain and Abel that that are at odds with one another sibling rivalry that led to the first homicide uh, Abraham and his family had some real dissonance. Sarah and Hagar the Horrible, you know, they just had, had issues in the family growing up. You have Jacob and Esau at odds with one another so that Jacob has to actually leave town and sneak away at the night. Uh, you have in, in the period of, of the wandering in the wilderness, murmuring and complaining. And yet God brought his people together and told them camp this way and in the center of the camp I want you to put the tabernacle because God's presence was to be your source of unity. The worship of God was to be the source of your unity. The period of Judges, great Joshua, great unity in the conquest but Judges becomes these seven cycles of disunity. Samuel comes on the scene and brings about spiritual awakening and again there's unity. Saul becomes king and there's disunity. Disunity. David comes to the throne, and there's unity, unity, disunity, among those that were supposed to be the people of God. No wonder Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, writes this. He talks about seven things God hates. That ought to get your attention. What does God hate? And one of the things he lists is sowing discord among the brothers. Do you realize God says he hates it? when people sow seeds of conflict and discord among God's people. God hates it. He absolutely hates it because God values unity that much. New Testament, we see an emphasis on the value of unity. Look at Ephesians 4 up on the screen here and listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Look at how, how God values unity. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. "...with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another..." "...that means putting up with one another in love, eager to maintain..." "...or one, one translation has it, striving to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace." That's, a, that's actually an imperative from God, that every believer is to so value unity that we're going to strive, we're going to endeavor to sustain that unity. Why? Because here's what we share in common. One body, one spirit... Your call to one hope belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who's over all and through all. Later, he speaks about the body of Christ. And he says, as we, with one another, relate in such a way that we speak the truth and love, we're going to grow up and mature in every way into him who is the head, Christ. That's where our unity comes from. As we value unity, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is done properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you value unity within your family so much that within your marriage you are striving to resolve conflicts? That you're willing to lay down your rights for your mate? Do you value unity so much in your home that you're going to lay down sibling rivalry and as a brother and a sister, you're going to serve one another in your home? Talk about something radical? Do you value unity so much that with your friendships, you are willing to lay down your life and sacrifice for a friend to keep that unity? You're willing to not get irritated by the things that are different. Do you value unity so much so that in your small group, that person that irritates you the most, you're going to choose to love? That person on the ministry team that you serve on, that you don't like the way they do things, it's okay because you're going to protect and value the unity. That in the church, you will not sow discord. My friends, God's doing something in the life of this church, and one of the evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit here is the unity in this church right now, and we need to strive to protect that. We need to value it so much that we will strive, every one of us, to protect that unity that there is. Do you value unity? You see, when we celebrate unity, we highly value it, but we also celebrate the source of unity. Where does that unity come from? And now we see the first illustration that he uses in verse 2. It is like, he said, so he's painting a comparison the precious oil on the head running down onto the beard, onto the beard of Aaron, the high priest running down into the collar of his robes and I don't know about you but when I first read this I said how does that anointing of Aaron have anything to do with unity within believers well check this out Uh, you'll see a picture up here that uh, of, of Aaron being anointed, it's not the real Aaron, I want you to know that he's being anointed with oil, okay And um, he is the high priest who represented the people before God. He would do it daily as he entered into worship experience, but he also would do it annually as he brought the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies. He was the mediator between God and people. And as he did that, he was anointed for that role with a special oil. It was olive oil mixed with four of the best spices, myrrh, cinnamon cane and cassia and that unique mixture of spices was was actually described as perfume because it was so aromatic. that that unique mixture what God said don't ever use that recipe for anything else matter of fact if anybody puts that together that way and uses it they should be killed because this was going to be unique only for the anointing of the high priest and it describes here that this, this anointing oil, as it's poured out lavishly on his head, just picture this, it's just being poured out, is running down his face, running down his beard, and falling upon the, four, the, the 12 stones that you can just see on the breastplate. Each one of those stones engraved with the names of the tribes of Israel. So the oil is is flowing down and covering those stones. Demonstrating that this anointing was to impact the people. It was flowing down. It says twice in here, it comes down. Friends, the unity that we have with one another in our homes, in our church comes down it doesn't grow up it comes down from christ who is our great high priest the name christ means the anointed one he's anointed as our king he's anointed as a prophet he's also anointed as our high priest as our mediator and our unity comes from him jesus in his high priestly prayer in john 17 said this i am no longer in the world But they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me. Now catch this, that they may be one, unity, just as we are one. Jesus said, I want, Father, my people, my disciples, to demonstrate the unity of the Trinity towards one another. That's pretty amazing. I want them to show the same unity between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has anointed every believer with that power to be able to demonstrate that unity. My friend, in every friendship, in every relationship, in every small group, in every marriage, in every ministry team, there's enough that could cause conflict and disunity. But it is Christ that provides our unity. It is the Holy Spirit that makes that unity possible. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 spoke of this. He said, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and there is, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not on his own interest, but on the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, when you, have your, you, when you have your mindset on Christ, you have a source of unity with one another at home and in the church. Uh, you, there's all new technology about how you tune pianos today. But back in the day, you used a tuning fork. And a piano tuner would take that tuning fork, and he would listen with his ear, and he would tune to that one note. And once that key was tuned, he could tune the rest of the piano to it. He could actually take that tuning fork, and he could tune 99 other pianos, and they would all be tuned to the same sound. And when they played together, they would be beautiful. Have you ever seen a piano duet We've got two different people playing pianos. They have to be tuned to one another, but to do that, they have to be tuned to something. And the tuning fork was that something. My friends, when you are tuned to Christ, who is the source of our unity, there is the potential of unity with one another. You show me a husband and a wife that are tuned to Christ. They'll be in harmony with one another. You show me siblings in a home where there's unity because they're tuned to Christ. Christ. And they will be actually serving one another. You show me a small group where every person in that group is tuned to Christ. And there's going to be great unity in relationships. You show me a church where every believer is submitting to the headship of Christ, the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, the work of the Spirit. And there is incredible unity. The source of our unity, friends, isn't you, it's not me. The source of our unity is Christ. At home, friendships, groups, ministry teams, the church. And the church ought to be that example of unity to a broken world that's conflicted. See, when you you celebrate unity, as the psalmist is telling us to do, you celebrate the value of unity. You also celebrate the source of unity, but you celebrate the refreshment of unity. Look at what he describes next here. In verse 3, the second illustration, he said, It's like the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, the refreshment of unity. Now you're gonna see a picture up here of Mount Hermon. Uh, Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in Israel, it's over 10,000 feet above sea level, and it can be seen because of that for 120 miles away. If you know much about the land of Israel, much of it is very dry and desert-like. And so the the snow that is on top of Mount uh, Mount Hermon all through the year, it will just melt and flow down in a a river, and the dew that comes from there sometimes can travel as far as Jerusalem. Uh, I I liken it, the, the first time that Bert and I ever went out of the country to travel to a mission field was Peru, South America. We'd never been further out of the country than Canada, so this was a pretty new experience to us. And and because we were going there, I wanted to research and study the country of Peru. And here's what I found out. The coastline of Peru is one of the driest deserts in the world. You think of the coastline of California and think about how lush and green that is. But because it's below the equator, the wind currents go differently and all the rain gets dropped in the Amazon. And doesn't get over the Andes. And so what happens is that the, the desert along the coastline is incredible. We were actually driving from the north of Peru to the south. And we're traveling along what's called the Pan American Highway. And I mean the desert is, has its own beauty. There's different colors. And it was, it was beautiful in its own way. But we would break up over a rising. And all of a sudden you'd see this lush valley filled with sugarcane and green plants and fields. And we wonder, where did that come from? And then you would see there was a river that came down from the Andes Mountains. Some of the Andes Mountains are two miles high. And uh, we actually flew on a flight from Lima, which is sea level, to two miles high. And that really does weird things to your body. And so the snow coming from the Andes, melting down and flowing there. Mount Hermon is like that. It brings the refreshment. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Israel. The Apostle Paul wrote one of his short letters. Some people call it a a Bible postcard, the book of Philemon. You could turn to any chapter you want because there's only one. In verses 4 to 7, this is what it says. Catch this. Paul said to this brother in Christ, Philemon, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Why? Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all saints. He said, I pray that the sharing of your faith might become effectual for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What a nice thing to have the Apostle Paul say about this guy. Brother, I pray for you and I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your faith. I'm grateful for your love because the hearts of all God's people who know you are refreshed by you. And he used a Greek word that is used for our word, refrigeration. He said, it's like, man, it's just kind of that that cool uh, air conditioning, that cool uh, drink of water out of the refrigerator. You are like that. You are refreshing. You are refreshing. Are you a refreshing believer to be with I had to say this, but there's, there's some people that you spend time with them, and you just walk away just like you've been in a drought. They just suck the life right out of it, everybody. I mean, they're always critical, always negative, always complaining, there's always something wrong, and they're always claiming their rights, and you get, you get hanging with people like that. It's like, ah, I am parched in my soul. And then there's some people, you spend time with them, and it's like, oh man, my faith has been encouraged my love in God has been experienced more deeply I want to ask you a question really which are you do you see other people as a toxic waste dump for your emotions or do you look at the opportunity to be able to really serve other people and refresh them are you a refreshing person to be with if you strive for unity the unity that comes from Christ there is a refreshment in unity now friend you can't be refreshing let me me just finish that thought for you okay You can't refresh others unless you're being refreshed yourself. You can't refresh others unless you're being refreshed yourself. And Jesus said this, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So if you're not drinking and being refreshed by Christ, you don't have a capacity to refresh other people. But when you do, unity is refreshing Unity is refreshing. Please notice again, this comes down from Mount Hermon. It It comes down from God. The three times in the psalm, it talks about running down and running down. It falls on the mountains. It comes down. It all comes from God. So we celebrate the unity, the value of it. We celebrate the unity in terms of the, the source of it. We celebrate the unity because of the refreshment of it. But we also celebrate unity because of the influence of it. He ends the psalm with these words From there, that is Jerusalem, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. He's talking about that when God's people got together and they got up to Jerusalem, they would come to worship, they would come to the festival, they would enjoy each other's relationship. They would enjoy being in the, in the temple in the presence of God. And in doing that, they now had a source of influence. God commanded from there a blessing, even eternal life, even life forevermore. Jesus said this in John 17 in his high priestly prayer again, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Uh, Again, notice how Jesus emphasizes unity. He said, "I, I pray, Father, that my followers, disciples, will be one just as the Trinity is one. But he adds this thought, so that the world might believe that you have sent me. Do you realize that your influence and my influence for Christ in your cul de sac? at your school, at your job, among people that are relatives and friends that don't know Christ, that part of your testimony and influence for Jesus Christ is that you have a source of unity that they don't have. Literally, Jesus is saying, Father, I pray that they would have this kind of unity with one another so that the world might believe. So that we might be those that extend the blessing of God to others. So that we would be those with the gospel of Christ to share with others. When a church doesn't have unity, they lose their influence in their community. Would you agree with that? When a marriage doesn't have unity, that marriage has no influence for Christ with other people. When a family doesn't strive for unity, they lose their testimony to people in the neighborhood. My friend, it is that unity, unity that's characterized by truth, unity that is characterized by holiness, but that unity that gives you influence with other people. So in this short psalm, a celebration of unity, David says, hey listen, unity is so valuable we ought to celebrate it. Unity finds its source in Christ We ought to celebrate it. Unity is refreshing, so we ought to celebrate it. Unity gives you influence, so we ought to celebrate it. So let me ask you, do you today celebrate the value of unity enough to give up your selfishness and your autonomy? I'm going to give up myself so that I can have unity with others at home and in the church. I'm going to lay down my rights so that I can live in harmony in those relationships in my life. Do you value unity that much that you will give up your selfishness and you'll give up your autonomy? That you're not going to be a marble. You're going to be a grape. Secondly, do you value the source of unity enough that you'll depend upon Christ to bring that unity in your relationships? Friends, you can't produce it artificially. It's got to be from God. It flows down the beard. It flows down from Mount Hermon. It comes from Him. And your relationship with Christ gives you the ability to live in unity with other people. That's how it works. Do you value and celebrate the refreshment of unity enough to desire authentic community? I'm very excited about something that's happening in our church right now. There seems to be a swelling, a movement of God among people saying, I want to be part of a point group. I want to be part of a ministry team. Because I realize that just worship is really important to me, but I also need to live in community. Do you value that enough that you want that refreshment in your life? And do you, do you celebrate the influence of unity enough to protect it, to protect unity in your home, protect unity in your point group, to protect unity in your ministry team, to protect unity within the church? Do you say, listen, I will not be a, a, a cause of disunity because that is something that God has God says that he hates and God loves unity because it reflects his character. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let's bow together and pray. Father, thank you for this brief psalm and in the poetry and beauty of the psalm. We see just how much you value unity that you say it's good and pleasant. We see that the source of unity always comes down from you into our relationship with one another. We see how refreshing unity can be in a broken, dry world. And we see the influence that unity brings. God, this world needs desperately to see what you're like. What relationships can be. God, I pray that our homes... Our friendships, our groups, our ministry teams, our church will be like outposts of the coming kingdom of Christ where there will be unity and there will be peace. And we can be a source of hope and reconciliation and forgiveness to people who are hurting, to a world that is broken. Because, Lord, the unity comes from you. And there's no other way to find it. God, right now I just I just would pray that you'd mend hearts in this place. That there would be a hunger and thirsting for reconciling relationships, for giving and receiving forgiveness, for moving towards one another rather than building walls between one another. That even siblings and home will say, you know, this, this thing about us constantly picking on each other isn't really what God wants. That the power plays in marriage is not God's design. That the criticism and negativity of my tongue is not producing unity. That me just withdrawing isn't really bringing that harmony and that community that you want me to have. So God, speak to hearts and produce in this church, in these homes, the kind of unity that the watching world will say, oh, that is what we long for. That's what we thirst for. That's what we want. Because we know that Jesus, only you can provide that. And there's no other source. So it's in your glorious, great name that we pray that you'd move in our hearts, and that you would reproduce the very unity of the Trinity, and the relationships within this body. In Jesus' name.